0: This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want to start a new series and I'm very excited about this. Um, Hopefully I won't be the only one at the end of today. (laughs) It was a joke. I don't know why you always laugh at everybody else who gets up here. And when I get up here, everybody gets serious. Maybe I'm just not funny. Oh, thank you. Um, I've been grappling with some stuff and wanting to, to, to process some stuff in myself, and one of the biggest challenges that I've struggled with for a little while is having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. <clears throat> there are so many well-motivated Christians, people who love God and who are pursuing the things of God. And... The intention of their heart is to move into a space where they experience the fullness of everything that, they, that he has for them. The challenge with it is that we, we seem to recognize godliness in its different forms, and we seem to able, be able to recognize what he has available to us. But the power that goes with that seems absent in some ways. Maybe it's just me. But it, 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 God never came into our lives to give us a little dab. God came into our lives to transform us. Part of the challenge, I think, sometimes is that we underestimate God. What happens is in our our going through life and experiencing different aspects of life, we go to God because we want Him to touch an aspect of who we are. And we want Him to to give us that that moment of happiness and that moment of fulfillment and that moment of rescue and whatever it might might be that we're looking for. And it's not that He's opposed to that. The challenge with it is, is that God's not looking just to meet you in the moment. God's looking to transform your life. And so my perspective has to shift a little bit because I have to recognize that when I move into a relationship with God, all things are passed away and everything is going to become brand new. And in embracing brand new, it means that my perspective and my vision, my view on who I am and how life operates needs to shift so that I can get in line with God's perspective. When I'm able to marry myself to God, it positions me in a place where I believe we begin to experience more of Him and what He has for us. One of the biggest issues for me in studying the Word of God and as something that everything seems to lead to this commonplace is a thing called the soul. It doesn't matter how many times you read scripture, it'll always somehow, ultimately it leads back to this place called the soul. And so I wanted to get a little bit of a better understanding as to what this whole thing was all about and try and understand it because the Bible is full of references to soul and the importance of the soul and the transformation of the soul and the use of the soul to introduce us to the life that God has to us. And it's like, how does that actually work? What actually is it? Can I define it? Kathy always reminds me when I was in training center, I'm just very practical in the way that I deal with stuff. And she was talking one day about revelation, and I said to her, "So, "Where does the word go?" I want to know. Where does it go?" If you hear the word where does it go? What happens to it? Take me on the journey with the word. This isn't designed as a criticism, but i, I it's more a pointing a finger at me. I think that getting into Christianity and particularly into um, Charismania and, and the charismatic movement, I'm not criticizing that. I th- the, the point I'm trying to make is, I think what ends up happening is, we buy into certain thinking and what happens is, because we buy into it, we embrace it all the time because that's kind of the landscape in which we find ourselves. But we don't always necessarily understand exactly what that means. And for me, what I've started doing is I've started to dissect some of these things because I want to understand how they work and how they fit together. And it's been very helpful for me. And ironically, it started because probably about three or four weeks ago, I felt that God was saying to me, go back to the basics, get reestablished. If we don't understand the basics or we have a misconception of it, what ends up happening is we have expectations of things of God that never materialize because we're looking for something that doesn't happen in that realm. Let me give you an example. If you have a football team and you're cheering for your football team and all of a sudden you find that you're on the um, in the stands and you're cheering them on and suddenly they're in a defensive mode. And you stand up and you start yelling for the quarterback to make a tackle. And you're looking for him to do something. I know he's got the speed. I know he, he has the ability to be able to. What, what, why is the quarterback not doing anything? The challenge with it is if we begin to understand the rules of football, we begin to recognize the fact that actually in a defensive play, the quarterback's not even on the field. I'm looking for him to do something, but he's not even out there. And sometimes in the way that perhaps we've put aspects of Christianity together, we're living and looking in in the anticipation of God and certain things happening, but it's because it's not grounded in the way that God has it. Does that make sense? So I started having a look at this thing called the soul. And when you have a look at it at a very superficial level, it talks to us about some of the functioning the ability to be able to think and to reason and to process and to feel to make decisions and to to have cognitive ability so we look at all of these things and it's like at a very yeah 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 i get it so if we talk about those things then you cannot have a look at the soulish aspect without having a look at the brain god look at the brain And it was like, okay, well, fine. Let's start having a look at the soulish realm, and let's start having a look at the brain. And in that space, I started looking at things, and I began to realize that we are very complicated in the way that we are put together. And actually, when we get to the place where we're having a look at defining who I am, it's not an easy thing to do. When people say to you, who are you? What do you tell them? And where does it come from? Are you going to speak to them about your physical attributes? Are you going to speak to them about your beliefs? Are you going to speak to them about your thoughts? Are you, are you going to share with them your disposition? And, your, where do, and where do all of those things come from? It raises lots of questions. And I think that as Christians, it's important for us to be able to understand those and to address some of those questions. What I'm wanting to do in the next few weeks is I'm really wanting to build a spiritual nest for us. What I'm wanting to do is take the individual components, the way that God put us together and the way that He created us, and give a um, definition to what each of those different aspects and those different parts are, and how they comprehensively and cohesively work together to create who I am. In that space, when I understand my being and how I'm put together, it lends a lot of value to being able to read the Scriptures. Because what I found for myself is that some of the things that I had thought were right were actually not right. But when I adjusted some of the pieces and I started to read scripture, it changed everything. I had different context because suddenly the nest had been created and I was like, wow, that's really interesting. So I want to create a spiritual nest so that in that space, as we begin to put different aspects of our Christian life into that, we're able to process it in a healthy way and a comprehensive way that looks at all the different attributes. Is that okay? I really would encourage you because I would like to do this in layers. I'm going to keep it pretty elementary and I'm trying to keep it in a way that is easily digestible. I'm not getting into the Greek and I'm not getting into the Hebrew. If you want, I'll give you the references. You can go and check it. The reason I'm doing that is because I don't want to get, come out with something, which is a whole heavy educational, philosophic idea about things. I'm trying to take the word of God in the way that Jesus presented it to us. Something that's digestible and easy to walk out. Okay. In having a look at this. I wanted to get more of a balanced view of things. And because of that, I wanted to go into the neuroscience and explore some of what happens in neuroscience. The reason it's important is because if we're talking about God having created us as human beings, we create it in more than one way. And one of the elements that, we, that is very important to our being is our physiology. And part of our physiology and the body is the brain. I don't know if you always thought about that. But when it talks about God created the body, I always, I notice it's there, but I never thought this way, but I always thought about your limbs and your fingers and, and your appetites and your exposure to the world and all of those things. And they have place. I'm not taking away from that, but ultimately really what it's about is it's about your brain. You don't have a part of your body that acts independently. You've never been walking down the street and your hand suddenly started doing this. And you were like, where did that come from? It becomes important because the Bible starts to speak about certain things like sin is in the body. What does that mean? What does it mean? Does it mean it's in my foot? No. It becomes important for us because we begin to recognize the fact that the fulcrum and the place of instruction comes from the brain. And the thing about it is if my brain is influenced by sin, what ends up happening is it drives my appetites and it drives my body. My brain becomes important when it talks about the body because ultimately that is the ruling mechanism for what happens in my body. Nothing happens in my body without the influence of this. You want to change your body? Change your brain. But remember, we're talking physiology here. So I want you to go and understand a little bit more about what do neuroscientists say? What have they discovered and is there a commonality and is there some way that I can synchronize some of their discoveries with what's happening spiritually? The thing about it is it's a very interesting marriage between a very incompatible couple You have science on one side, which is very preoccupied with the physical and the natural. It's all about experimentation, and it's all about evaluation. It's all about systematic studying of things. It must be tangible. It must be accessible. It must be measurable. they criteria for defining what falls under the scope of science. Science does not go beyond that realm. It has parameters. And so it's an interesting analogy when you take something like that and you put it into the context and you try and marry it with something which is spiritual. Because spiritual is intangible. It's inaccessible to the senses. But it's the source of life. So what can I discover by putting these two things together? In moving forward with things, What I would like to do is this. Everything that I'm going to present to you, I'm going to make sure that it is grounded in Scripture. The Bible is truth. Lots of people have got opinions, and there are opinions out there, and that's okay. I don't have a problem with it. But it's really important that ultimately, everything must line up with the Word of God. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, throw it out. Okay? So that becomes the foundational authority on anything that we're going to embrace. What I would encourage you to do is this. What we speak about, take it back and sit and spend some time with the Holy Spirit on it. Allow him to take and minister some of this stuff to you. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but unless you do that, You're going to live in your brain, which is where you're going to get the stuff. But it's not going to do anything. It's transformational in who you are. You need the Holy Spirit to do that. One of the things which is a hard place, but a liberating place for me is I can't change anybody. So my responsibility is to find out what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to deliver And then I do it, and that's my job. I can't change anybody. But the reason I'm telling you that is because if you take that, and you take what I've imparted, because I believe it comes from the Holy Spirit, and you get together with Him, you position yourself in a place where He'll begin to do some stuff on the inside of you that you're not capable of doing in and of your physical being. So it becomes really important. Having said that, it's not only biblical, but I want to speak about the fact that Their perspectives. Some things in scripture are definitive. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's definitive. It's like not open to debate. But there are some things in there that raise a lot of questions. And in studying this, what I've begun to realize is that people have a lot of different opinions about it. And all of them have scripture to substantiate it. And so... What I've tried to do is I've tried to get to a place where I've read different views. I think it's important. I'll tell you why. The problem with it is if all we ever do is embrace and listen to people who think like me, I get stuck in the little thought bubble. There are lots of different people who come from many different denominations. And many of them have got valuable insights into things that we don't have. A mature Christian says, Holy Spirit, there's somebody who believes that you are the Christ. I mean, they're positioned as part of the body, but they got a different perspective to me. Let me have a listen to what they have to say, because maybe it lends a little bit of insight into where I am. Some of the stuff, this isn't just me, some of the stuff I read is like it's rubbish. It's just, that maybe that's where I am and maybe God will illuminate it to me down the way. But for right now, it's just, it's rubbish. I I don't believe that. I don't think that's right. It doesn't line up with the word of God. Other stuff I read and I'm kind of like, oh, that's interesting. And what happens if I take revelations and some of the stuff that God has given me? And what if I overlay that with that thought? And suddenly what I find is it begins to take where you are and it takes you into a new realm and a new arena. And suddenly everything begins to shift all of a sudden because my world has become more expansive and it's become bigger. It's important for us not to just live with people who think the way we do. It doesn't mean you have to embrace it. Holy Spirit is King. You take it with Him and the Word of God and you find out. Part of the reason I'm telling you that is because some of what I'm going to suggest to you is different to where we've been. I don't think it's wrong. I think it's right. But I want you to take it and process it. Is that okay? Okay. Genesis chapter two. How can you talk about who man is unless you go back to Genesis? Genesis chapter two and verse seven. And the Lord God formed man... Of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. There are a couple of things I want to start off with before I get into the actual creation of the individual. The one thing is this, understand that man fundamentally is composed of two core materials, spirit and dust. Okay. It speaks to us about two worlds. What makes man unique as a creature is man is the only creature that lives in two worlds simultaneously. Not even God does that. God is spirit. Everything else is material. Man is built to exist in two worlds. And so it begins to, first of all, start to shift my understanding about things because I have to begin to embrace and digest the idea that as I travel through life, I'm in error and I'm running amok if I'm living in one realm and not the other. As long as you're a natural being, but there is no consideration for spiritual things, I'm out of balance. I'm out of balance. There are a lot of, there are certain denominations, and the the challenge with it is what they do is they speak to us a lot about the logos. It's all about the, the word of God that we find. It's all about natural realm stuff. It's about changing, becoming who you are. It's all about the, the, positioning and the illumination of ultimately what you should be but very often what it does is it introduces people to a works program what's happening i'm living from one dimension i'm living from dust but there's no part to me that is open to the influence of spirit and so i've I've got to become aware of that as a human being and begin to straddle both worlds the invitation that god extends to us is to be efficient and productive and whole in straddling both of those entities that make me complete in who I am. Okay. I've got to be able to do both of those things. Um, If you look at where we're going with that, it's interesting because God uses materials from the two different worlds to create man and he creates man as body, soul, and spirit. The point is, God's intention is that man live cohesively and in unity with every aspect of who he is. Man is to live as spirit, soul, and body. The reason it becomes important is because there's some teaching that goes out there, and what it says is, everything of the flesh is evil, so you shouldn't live by the body aspect. You should just be soul and spirit. But that's not what scripture says. Scripture says when God created, he stepped back after creation was finished and he looked down on everything that had been created and he said it was very good. It was very good. Just as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit operate cohesively as three in one, What he invites us to do is the way that we operate and we move through life is we are three in one spirit, soul, and body bringing cohesion, all of it coming together so that I live as a fulfilled and a whole and a complete entity. Part of the challenge of some of the teaching right at the moment with people out there is to get rid of the body aspect. And I'm talking about gender stuff, but it creates issues because what ends up happening is essentially they're saying is I can't embrace who I am. So I'll throw it out and I'll try and embrace something else. Anytime we can't embrace an aspect to who we are for whatever reason, I create uh, a fracturing within myself. I become incomplete. You will never remedy that. I can't take out a part of who I am and say I'm not prepared to embrace it. The whole point of the gospel is God brings us to a place of redemption. Redemption. Spirit, soul, and body. What is he saying? He's saying stuff has happened. Something's happened. And so parts to who we are have been fractured and have been, we live in disappointments and brokenness and different aspects. The whole point of redemption is to take every aspect of you who you are, spirit, soul, and body, and take it back to God's original design. That's what the redemption is about. It's not limited simply to being born again and everything else is eliminated and removed from that. It's something that's designed, designed to invade your, your being in every way. God designed us. To be like Christ. The word for Christ that, that they use the big word there is sanctification. And 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23 says, let your whole body, spirit, soul, and body be sanctified. What is he saying? Every part of who you are is designed to show forth the glory of him. We were designed as beings to operate that way. I wanted to kind of set that as a platform to get into where we are now so god says fine he has a discussion between himself and with himself and he says let's make man let's make man in our image and it says first part of it is says let's make man the dust of the ground he formed man of the dust of the ground he took material what I'm going to do in this is I want to start getting into certain aspects of who we are and giving a definition to what those aspects are so we're able to define them okay so he's forming man okay this is body Body is coming into being now he's taking matter material substance and he creates man of the dust. Like I said earlier, it wasn't just his form that he created, but he created him with a brain. Brain is composed of matter. Brain is tissue. When you die, what goes into the box with you is brain tissue, and it'll rot with everything else. But what's interesting about this is realize this. God created man of matter. He created a brain of matter. But you know what? Nothing functioned. He had a brain, but it wasn't working. What does it tell us? It says to us that man's mind never came into being until God breathed into him. What does it say? It's telling us that mind, our ability to process, our ability to reason, our ability to make judgments, our ability to feel, mind came into being when God breathed into man. It's important because this is the distinction. Mind doesn't go with brain. That was a shock for me. (laughs) It was. Because for a long time, I had been taught that that's where everything sits. And brain is what makes it all happen. And suddenly I came to the realization, brain is a mechanism. It is a tool that you have been given by God. And that tool, although it has physical form, is there and it's designed to, number one, run the body but it had no life yet. But that's what it was there for. That's was the function of the tool. The second function of the tool is this. Ultimately, it gives the mind access to the world. The brain is what processes what's happening. The brain is picking up all the time, the tangible aspects. It's seeing stuff. It's synthesizing. It's processing. It has access to all of this stuff. What is it doing? It's feeding in right now information and details and content. And where is it going? To the mind. But the mind's not part of the brain. Mind comes with body, with spirit. Mind comes with spirit, and when spirit leaves the body, mind goes with it. Remember the guy who was sitting and he was talking about his family who was left back on earth, and he was like, Can't we do anything to approach them and Let them make them aware of the opportunities that need to be taken so that they don't end up in the same place as I am. What happened? Mind left body when life went. When spirit moved out, mind goes with it. So it's important. We have, when God speaks about body, he's talking about physical being, matter, but it's inclusive of brain. My suggestion to you was, would be this. Every time God speaks about body, go to brain. Think my brain. Because your brain is what controls all of this. It's not exclusive. There are other things. I understand that he gets into flesh and stuff. But I can tell you now, the overarching key principle is your brain is the governor of what happens in this dimension. So he formed man of the dust of the ground. And it says, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He breathed into the nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. What is he saying? He's moving away from matter right now. And he's sitting saying, I'm going to make you out of something quite different. Because you're not only going to be matter, but you're going to be spirit. And what God does is he takes spirit. John 4, I think 24 says, God is spirit. And those that worship him must worship him. Spirit and truth. God is spirit. God took spirit and he breathed spirit into man. It doesn't say God. It doesn't say man became a living spirit. Go and have a look, have a look in the original uh, Hebrew. Man became a living soul. That's interesting. So this will be part of my challenge, Cain, because the problem with it is that it's particularly prevalent amongst evangelicals and charismatics. They teach the idea that man is a three-part being. Spirit, soul, and body. It's kind of exclusive to that little realm because the minute you go outside of those, those denominations or whatever you want to call them, actually most people don't believe that. Most theologians don't believe in a three-part being. They believe in a two-part being. And so one thing, these are hard things I grapple with because it's like, what's the practical implication? If man is a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body, Okay, I understand body, I know what God made it of. I get spirit, I know what God made that of. I know where it comes from. What the heck is the soul thing? There's no third material in the creation process. What is it? I began to explore that a little bit, and it becomes interesting because if you sit and say, fine, your soul is part of your brain, there's a problem with that for a few reasons. Number one, your brain is matter. So your soul came into being when God breathed it in. So it obviously is not of material substance. Does that mean when you die, if it's of brain, it goes into the coffin with you? It can't be of material. It can't be part of your brain. There are some other issues with it. Think about this. God is spirit. As spirit, it's quite interesting because God has all the capacities and capabilities of what we would classify as being the soulish realm. God thinks. God speaks. God expresses emotion. God makes judgments. All of those things exist in spirit realm, but God is never referred to as a soul. He's only ever spoken of a spirit. Why? These are some of the things that was like, I need some answers to these things. I can't just sit and digest it. So I think a little bit differently. What I think happens is this man is lying there, brain, body, material is lying there. God, spirit, Who has the capacity for thought, feeling, judgment, emotion, decision-making. God breathes into man. And it says, and man became a living soul. Jesus helped me with this. The life of God breathed into you was the life principle It gave you life. But out of the life principle is born something called the soul. It is born of that and it's sustained by that. But it is part of that. You cannot move one from the other. When spirit goes, when soul leaves, body dies. In essence, what I'm saying is this. Soul is spirit in the context of body. It is the life principle which sustains us, but it has what it it gives rise to and what it sustains is something called a soulish capacity. It's not a brain. It's the same as God. Why is it important? Because if you want to know who you are, you've got to be able to process stuff. A being simply existing can't process who am I. What what God was doing was putting something on the inside of man that was like it gave him spirit, which gave him life, but it gave him the capacity to be an individual. It gave him the capacity in his own um, creation to be able to have processing functions so that it was able to take those the information and gain a sense of identity, a sense of ego, a sense of personality, as something that differentiates me from everybody else. If we didn't have that, what would happen is everybody would be identical. We would all look exactly like the breath of God. It differentiates us. So, I know you, you're wondering like I am. Have a look at Luke chapter 24, verse 39. Okay. Jesus says, a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have. A spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have. What is he saying? He's saying the same thing. He's saying outside of body, it is spirit. It's a spirit being. But when you put spirit being inside body, it becomes a living soul. It doesn't mean when it moves outside of the body that it loses the capacity of understanding and reason. It goes with it. But it's the same thing. One is in body and one isn't. That's what he's trying to explain. He's saying they are two things. One is in the context of who I am as, as a man created in that way. What I would propose to you is this. Mind is to spirit. Okay? What brain is to body. So my body has a brain that maintains it, that governs it, that processes stuff, that decides what it wants to do, that gives instruction, that makes stuff happen in my life. That's what the brain does. The body is here and that's what supports it. In the spirit realm, I have the spirit, which is the principle of life. It's who I am. But I have a mind and in that capacity, because I, uh, I have the ability to process stuff, that's what mind is. When I take spirit with mind and I put it inside body, all of a sudden what ends up happening is it becomes a living soul. It's the material man was made of. So it becomes quite interesting because now what it's saying is, it's speaking to us about the ability or, 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 or the um The look of man as being internally made up of something which is not material substance, spirit and mind, and externally having body and brain. So now this is where it gets really interesting. Can they prove scientifically that this dichotomy exists? And actually, they can. So there was a neurosurgeon. I'm not going to find his name. I didn't memorize it. There was a neurosurgeon. And he was a, um, he was very concerned and interested in the, hold on, let me just find it. here, Penfield. He was a neurosurgeon. And he worked with epileptics. And he worked with epileptics. And he died about 30 years ago. But he spent the better part of 30 years studying epilepsy and epileptics. And the way that he went about doing it was, obviously he needed the patients to be awake in order to manipulate them and find some kind of response between their brain and their their actions. So what he would do is he would actually remove the cranium and they would be sitting there. They they had a, a, a local, not a general. So they were awake. They couldn't feel anything, but they were awake. And what he would do is he would kind of prod at the brain. And as he prodded at the brain, they would have different kinds of responses to things. And while he was prodding at the brain, Um, He was asking them questions all the time because he was trying to understand where in the brain is this epilepsy thing coming from. And so he he was on the epilepsy route. The thing is, he discovered something very interesting. He got to one point and he touched a certain part of the brain. And when he touched that part of the brain, all of a sudden, the man's arm went up. His right arm went up. And Penfield said to him, why did you lift your right hand? And he said, I didn't lift it, you did. I didn't lift it, you did. And For the first time he began to recognize the fact that the patient put himself at a distance to his brain. What he was saying was, I never initiated that function. You initiated it. You were prodding on this thing called my brain. And you, as a result of that, got my arm to do what you wanted it to do. I didn't do it. What it says is this, a few things. Number one, I am not a brain. I am separate to the brain, which is what God says. I created him as a living soul. As a living soul, he operates and has influence over a structure called the brain, which gives us access to the natural realm. But it is the spirit inside that is doing something. So Penfield said, okay, let's do this. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to do it again. But what I want you to do is, while I do that, I want you to put some resistance. And so I want you to stop your arm from doing that. So he said, okay. So he touched that part of the brain again and the man's arm shot up and immediately the man put out his other hand on top of it and tried to push it down. And the takeout from the experiment was this, and they have done it many times. The takeout of the experiment was this, we are not a brain. We have a tool called a brain and you can place demands on that brain. That brain comes with somebody who is an operator and somebody who programs it. But the brain is designed as a tool. Something else on the inside there can initiate a reaction and a response from something which is matter. I found that quite interesting. Quite interesting. So they did another experiment. Now this was another guy. This was a guy. I'll tell you what his name is. Corn I know. You gotta figure that one. What I'm wanting you to do is I'm wanting to you for you to recognize and see examples of dualism. How. There is a subject and an object. How there is a part to us that is initiating something and getting a reaction out of that. So this guy, whatever his name is, what he did was this. He said, he noticed that there was a a time lapse between, like if I said to Sarah, um, wave at me. He said he would ask them to do something, and then between giving the instruction and the actual um, response, there was a lapse. So what he did is he put all the things on the brain to manage all of that happened there. And what he did is he told them, what I want you to do is this. I want you to wave at me. And the moment he told them to do something, <clears throat> the instruction was given. And between the instruction and the response, there was a little piece, a sliver of time. And in that gap, what he found was, immediately, there there was a whole bunch of electrical activity that happened in the brain. And it kind of moved around, and then it began to concentrate in an area. And while it concentrated in that area, it would ultimately hit the space that would result in the action taking place. And so, wave your hand, thought about it, said, wave my hand. And in that moment, before the hand actually went up, he monitored what happened with all the brain waves. It was so interesting because what he began to realize was this. Number one, the instruction doesn't come from the brain. It comes from somewhere else. Somewhere else, something else initiates this electrical impulse that happens in the brain. And ultimately, those things give definition and instruction to what the brain needs to do. The challenge that they found was this. Science is only concerned with things that are natural, things that are material, and things that are tangible. So the problem with it is, in studying the brain, they could have a look at those aspects. But they couldn't have a look beyond that, and it came to a dead end because they couldn't find where those things were initiated. Who are you? You have a tool called a brain. You have a body that's going to respond to the instruction that it's given. You have the life of God, which is the sustaining principle on the inside of you. But you are a living soul. You are a living soul becomes important for us because what we start to do is this. And I haven't got time to get into it now. But this is where I want to go. Body. Brain. I am a living soul. And I have a life-giving principle called spirit. Be not conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your, not your brain. He's talking about your mind. Hold on a second. What does that mean? What are the implications of something like that? He didn't tell me to change my brain. He said, change your mind. Why? Because he knew you are the controlling entity in the equation. You are not your brain. Your brain is a tool. If I can change your mind, the instructions that will happen as a result of that begin to change things in your life. There were some other scriptures I wanted to give you. Hold on, I've got to get there quickly. I know, I'm running out of time. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. Do you know what he's saying? You became a living soul when spirit The life principle was breathed into you. But that life principle produced and sustained something called the living you. And the living you, because of exposure, not only to the spirit realm now, but you also, because you're in body, have access to the natural realm, are developing thoughts and ideas all the time. In that space, what he's saying is, spirit and soul are so closely knit and so closely interwoven that the only thing that can really separate the two is the word of God. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's, I can't get into that stuff. Job chapter 33 and verse four. The Spirit of God has made me. The Spirit of God has made me. Who is me? He's not talking about your brain. He's not talking about your physiology. The Spirit of God has made me. And the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. It becomes really pertinent and helpful because when we start to go down that road, what we begin to realize is who I really am and how I sit in this place. And one of the liberating things for me was the fact that you are not your brain. Your brain is a tool. If your brain is a tool that's at your disposal, you have the ability to have influence over that. In having influence over that, you will have influence over your body. And so we begin to move into a realm where we begin to understand what God's initial design was. God's initial design was, us to be, was for us to be spiritual people. What is a spiritual person? A spiritual person is not somebody who knows a whole bunch of the word of God necessarily. Because I could get it in my natural being with my brain. It's Logos. It's in my brain. It's in my brain. But my brain is not me. My brain is my tool. What do I need? I don't need Logos. I need Rhema. Where am I going to get Rhema from? i got to step over this side into who I am, a living soul. Because my living soul has something called the sustaining life principle. It is the life of God on the inside of me. In that space, what ends up happening is the communication between God and me results in revelation. It changes me. I begin to recognize the fact that I can build a whole new life. Because when I'm in the natural realm, what adds value to your life is knowledge. When you're a knowledgeable person, you've amassed a fair amount of information. You're valuable. We'll pay you more because you can do more with what you know. But that's immaterial in the kingdom. In the kingdom, you build a life on faith, on revelation. The thing about it is it puts us in a different context because it's relational. It means, okay, so I've got to start moving to a place where I've got to hear God. I've got to allow Him to speak into that space. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood, flesh and blood, flesh and blood. Your brain didn't tell you this. But my Father who is in heaven, well done, you've just opened the door. You can start to build your life on something new, something different. You don't have to build your, your life on logos and brain, which everybody else is building it on. Suddenly I move into a place where I'm beginning to recognize that there's a realm to who I truly am. And I can, that stuff can have influence or I can choose to say, I'm not going to be conformed to that anymore. I'm going to be made new. How am I going to be made new? Because I'm coming to you, Spirit of God who's on the inside of me. Because I'm trusting you to do something on the inside of me that builds a reality. That builds a foundation on the inside of me that I can begin to live from. It'll shift and shake your whole paradigm about what sin is. Sin is living without a recognition and a value for the contribution of spirit in my life, in particular of God in my life. What it's saying is I'm living by brain and I'm living by who I am. But that's why you can never become righteous. Unless I get to the place where I sit and say, I need you, I need spirit because who I am is a living soul. I need spirit to come in and make me brand new my brain will happen down the way i can get to that this is not about my brain right now this is about me when god changes you and begins to affect the living soul what ends up happening is i begin to change I place different demands on my body. I live in the expectation of different things from my brain. I don't allow that to take preeminence in my life anymore. I'm moving into a space where I recognize I want to be spiritual. Spiritual means I'm beginning to recognize and value the spirit of God on the inside of who I am. And I'm open to his influence in who I am, the living soul. And as he begins to influence me, living soul exercises authority and exercises influence over something called my brain and my body. And I live differently. That's why Christians should be different because we live from a different source. The problem with it is, and I can't get into this. I'm going to speak about this next week, maybe, but it's. The the challenge with it is when you don't have the spiritual side made alive, you only have one dimension to form who you are. It's going to be the brain and your body. And I'm going to miss spiritual stuff. Can you do it? Can you live like that? Sure. But you miss out on big dimension of who God is about. Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for the eyes of our understanding being opened. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we just begin to meditate on this and we spend time during the week considering it, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will just begin to open the eyes of our understanding so that we see things from your perspective. Father, let us not be stuck in where we were. Let us not be stuck in what we're so rigid about. But let us be open to your influence. I thank you for springboards that introduce us to a new way of living. Ways that we can let go of our past and embrace something new. Can I leave you with one last thought? God is so much bigger than what we are. He is so much bigger. The most dangerous place we can ever get is if we feel as though we have a monopoly on truth. If we feel we really understand God fully in an area. You talk about the infinite being, the creator of the universe. And somehow we think that we have him down pat. We never do. View your spirituality as a journey. I can promise you he will introduce you to new avenues and new aspects of who he is. But you've got to be open to it. One of the most dangerous things we ever do, that's why we have denominations everywhere. Because people live with picket fences around their beliefs. I go this far and no more. Don't wade off into error. I'm not suggesting that. Make sure that everything conforms to the Word of God. Spend time with the Holy Spirit. But just don't become intransigent. I find a lot of people just re-digest what they've been fed. But if you really begin to interrogate it a little bit, it doesn't always hold water. Anyway, something for you to think about. Have a good week.